From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. So if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 20. You can open up a physical Bible, open up the app on your phone. I encourage you to do that because I want you to follow along with me so you can track where we are and what's going on unless you know the story. Here's what it says in John chapter 20, starting verse 19. It says, On the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. Just for some background, Jesus had died and he was buried in the tomb. And this is where they're at. Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Their Savior was dead, and now he's alive. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Verse 24, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, His disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, I'm just going to give a little freebie this morning. You are blessed if you are here today and believe in Jesus. Because you have not seen the physical Jesus before you, yet you believe. You are blessed by God. We're in a final uh, talk today in our series called Disillusion. We're capping off our discussion of doubt and faith. We've spent a few weeks looking at stories in the scripture of characters who had these times of doubt and discussing what we can do in those moments to further build our faith while we experience doubt or disillusionment and despair. And at first we looked at John the Baptist. If you remember a few weeks ago, John the Baptist, this hero of the faith who finds himself in prison. And while he's in prison, he begins to have a moment of doubt. Likely because Jesus isn't doing things at the speed that he would like Jesus to do them, he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask a question. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect another? And we talked about and concluded that we can go to God with our questions. We then looked at the disciple Peter, who faces disillusionment when reality collides with his expectations of the Messiah. Jesus tells the disciples that he's going to 
suffer many things that the chief religious leaders and, and die and then live. And Peter's like, whoa, this collides with everything he expected the Messiah to be. And we discuss that our expectations and understanding need to submit to Christ. Then we looked at this story of a father who's desperate because his son is demon-possessed. And his desperation actually drives him to faith. And he calls out to Jesus and says, help me overcome my disbelief. And throughout all of this, we've kind of looked at these seemingly polar opposites of doubt and faith. This, this tension that exists where we can believe but have questions. Where we can wrestle with unmet expectations and yet submit ourselves to Christ. Or we can find ourselves in desperate um, situations and we, maybe we just need a little help with our faith. You know, and the scriptures say that those who doubt are like waves in the sea. And that the one who doubts and when they go to the Lord and ask should not expect anything from the Lord. That's in, in the book of James. But we have these stories in the scripture of where God meets people where they're at in these moments of doubt. And I think if we're really, really honest, we all have moments. We all have moments of doubt. Maybe it's a a theological issue we just can't get over. Maybe it's an experience we had in the church. Maybe it's a, a situation in our life that's just led us to question. But could it be in those places? Could it be in those places that we're actually closer to belief than we realize? And that God is closer to us than we realize? You know, when I look at the state of the church in the West today, when I look at Western evangelicalism, and I see church attendance dropping, and I see people deconstructing their faith, and I see apathy in the church, and I see consumerism in the church, I think a lot of that has to do with the state of disillusionment. I said this a couple weeks ago, disillusionment is, is that idea that, that uh, this discovery that something isn't as good as you thought it was, was to be. You had this belief about faith, you had this belief about church, and it just wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. And I think this is where a lot of people are in the West. I think this is where a lot of people find themselves in. Tyler Statton, a pastor, um, discussed this in his book, Searching for Enough. Many have realized that the claims of the world for fulfillment and, and satisfaction coming from success and climbing the corporate ladder and reaching the next accomplishment and having this thing, this material item, many have found those claims to be wanting. They're not enough. They've left us empty. They've left us unsatisfied. We reach the, the place that we think this will be it and I will feel what I'm looking for and we just don't feel it. You get the promotion, you get the raise. You go on the vacation, you get the new toy, and it just doesn't hit the spot. Maybe it does for a little bit, but it just doesn't hit the spot. So the claims of the world, have this, do this, be this, was just not enough. The pleasures have wrecked us, right? Broken, we're hurt, we're lost. And so somewhere along the journey, we found Christ, or we found faith, or we discovered the church and its claims of fulfillment and freedom. And so we did the church thing. We did the, the faith thing. We denounced the world, more or less. We turned from the world, and we turned towards Jesus and the church. And for a season, 
maybe even years, we felt fulfilled. We felt satisfied. It filled the void. It touched the spot. But then for whatever reason, maybe an experience in faith, for whatever reason, following after Jesus has left us with similar feelings. We just don't see it as enough after all. You experienced a loss and that grief has demolished you. And the promise of of faith just doesn't free you. You can't keep up with the debt. And the stress is killing you, quite literally. Because stress actually impacts your, your body. And God doesn't seem to provide. You're overcome with the stress of raising kids because they're delinquent and they're little terrors. Except for when they're like a month old and they're just sweet as heck. But you're stressed and the strength of God just doesn't seem to be there. Work is overloading. And just waking up in the morning brings heart palpitations because you know that you have to walk in your workplace. And God just doesn't seem to be giving the peace that he promises. You can't find freedom over the temptation. Though the scriptures promise that he gives us a way out, you feel empty even though Jesus is supposed to be enough. And so the claims of faith for freedom and fulfillment and wholeness have left you with those same claims. And so now you're in this disillusion spot in faith. You're in the middle of searching for enough. The world wasn't enough, and now Christianity seems like it's not. What do we do there? That's the question. What do we do there? Now, before we ask or answer that question, what do we do there? We have to ask the question, how do we get there? How do we get to the spot where faith wasn't enough? How do we get to the place where following Christ didn't satisfy like they claimed it to be or we believed it to be? And I'm going I'm to touch on one point here. Often those who are there, or if you've been there, what you've actually done with faith and what you've done with God and what you've done with the church and what you've done with Christianity is the same thing you did with everything else. You actually treated it like the substance of your addiction. Where are you going with this? You treated it like the high or the dopamine hit you get from climbing the accomplishment ladder. It was an idol for you. Just another thing that you happen to label faith. But it wasn't genuine. God, faith, and the church wasn't Jesus who you really encountered and met personally and built a personal relationship with. It wasn't a person, but an idea, a false spirit that you genuinely tried to pursue. You had good intentions and good motivation to find what you're longing for, but what you actually pursued, ready for it, was religion. Pursued religion. Religion happens when you do the actions to receive the outcome. 
It's a work-based thing. If I do this, I'll get that. Not faith-based. So I, I go into church and I'm reading my Bible and I'll raise my hands in church and I'll go to the altar and I'll worship and I'll take communion. I'll serve on a team. I'll attend an event. I'll even help at the event. I do the spiritual practices like Sabbath keeping, fasting, and I do the things. And the things are good, okay? The things are actually really good and they're incredibly helpful tools to help you grow in your faith. But I'm doing them because I've bought into this idea that those are the things that fill me and satisfy. Those are the things that, that touch the longing inside. And if I do them, I'll please God and he'll be happy with me and then he'll bless me with healing or he'll give me provision or give me wholeness. If I just am a good enough Christian and I do the Christian things, I do the church thing, I do the Bible reading thing and I do the devotional thing and I do the tithing thing, then God will say, you did it all. Here's what you need. That's works. That's if I do this, then I'll get that. And that, my friend, is religion. That is religion. So faith has become this idol to pursue. And so, of course, you've been left disillusioned because religion is not all that it's cracked up to be. Can I just tell you that when I get into those modes, and I think we all do, I get into that mode of religious action, I get exhausted. And I get frustrated. And I get angry and I get irritable because I'm like, God, I'm doing the things. Where's your part? Come on, quid pro pro, whatever the saying is. I do this, you do that. That's not what it's about. As opposed to true faith, which comes from an authentic encounter with the person named Jesus Christ. And learning to get to know him because he is the substance that truly satisfies. That's why you can have two people, one who, who looks the part, does the part, fills every place in the church. You call them, they're there. They are like by action, the model Christian. They look like Jesus and they can feel so incredibly empty. And you can have person over here who, who forgets to show up and, you know, doesn't give as much and, you know, is, is not serving as great and just, just seems to be, forgets to do devotions and, and feels like I haven't prayed in a long time and, you know, ah, and just does not look like the part. And they're so full because they know Jesus. It's religion versus relationship. And I'm not going to get, you know, I don't want to get into that whole debate here, but I hope you're tracking with me. How do we get to the place where the world wasn't enough? So we denounced the world. And so we went to the world, the, the way of faith and the way of Christ, but it wasn't enough. It's because we made this about actions. If I do these things, I will feel the thing I want. A.W. Tozer, he put it this way. He says, whatever else it embraces, true Christian experience must always include a genuine encounter with God. Without this, religion is but a shadow, a reflection of reality, a cheap copy of an original once enjoyed by someone else of whom we have heard. So we got into this middle space for whatever reason. You've done the church every Sunday. You've tried the things. And if just you still feel disillusioned. What do you do now? 
And that's why my prayer, even as I'm sharing right now, my prayer is that you would encounter Jesus. That you, would, that, you would, that you would be stirred to pray for an encounter with Jesus. Because an encounter with Jesus is the only thing. Like if, even, if you've been, even if you've had an encounter with Christ, you know, we can all kind of get back in that rut again. We need a fresh moment. We need a, fr- a fresh meeting. We, need just, we just need to have a date with Jesus. Just say, okay, I, I need to sit down with you again. All those other stuff are tools that help the relationship. You know, when I, as a husband, I, I do things in my home to help support my spouse and make her feel loved and cared for, but those are not the substance of, of the marriage. I can do all those things and, 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 and serve her and, and love on, you know, that, that's not the substance, it's relationship. We can go on a date, we can sit down, you know, all the love language pieces, I can do those things, but if, if I'm not, if there's no connection there, it's just action. Those support that. So what do we do when we're there, when we're disillusioned in our faith? Let's look at Thomas. Thomas in this text, in this moment, is in the middle. He's there. Now, Thomas was a disciple of Jesus. He's known, if you've been around church long enough, as Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas because of this moment. It's quite sad, actually, that he's gone down in history as the doubter. Because Thomas is actually known to have evangelized Eastern Asia. He's the one who is said to have brought the gospel to India. But he does have this scene of stubborn skepticism. In this spot, he's like the modern-day skeptic. Unless I see myself, I will not believe. Stubbornness. Now, just to bring us up to speed again, Jesus had been betrayed, he'd been beaten, he'd been crucified, he'd buried in the grave. All the expectations that the disciples had of the, the great Messiah were washed away. They had hope for a conquering kin. They got a crucified Savior. They gave their lives to him and for this cause. And for three years, they followed him as apprentices, day in and day out, with Jesus, watching, eating, learning, repeating, waiting, and hoping. They left their homes. They left their families. They left their jobs for Jesus. And now their Lord was dead. Talk about disillusionment. Everything they had hoped and believed was now lost. But the tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. Some of the women had gone to the tomb and the body wasn't there. They went back to tell the disciples. Even one of them, Mary Magdalene, said they took his body because it was too crazy to assume that he actually rose from the dead. We're, we're like post-story, right? We know it all. So we just assume right away. The tomb is empty. He is risen. We get excited about an empty tomb. They did not get excited about an empty tomb. They thought somebody stole the body. They stole the body. So Peter and John and some of the disciples, they go to the the tomb, and of course they, they see it's empty. There's no body. But then Mary has an encounter with Jesus. She meets Jesus. She she actually sees him face to face. He's alive. And she goes back and she tells the disciples, He's alive. I've seen him. I've seen him. And they don't believe. Now let me throw some fuel on this fire. In that culture, women were not held in high regard at all. 
The fact that a woman in this first century was to encounter Jesus isn't really a good selling feature. The first person to encounter Jesus is a woman in this first century culture. Not a good way to, sh- to spread your story. If the disciples were trying to make it up and, and trick the world and fool the world, hey, listen, you know, our movement just died. We want to fake this. We want to make, you know, we got so much pride. We want to make sure people continue on. Let's make it up. He rose, he rose again. You know, let, let's, okay, what are, let, let's put some details together to fabricate the story and just deceive everyone. This was not a good starting point for them. Let's, let's say that he met Mary and that was the first encounter. No, you don't do that in a first century world. But of course, Jesus wanted to transform the world. Who does he appear to first? A woman. But the disciples, they don't believe her. She has this encounter, an eyewitness encounter, and they don't believe her. So they're all together in the upper room or in the room in a house. Doors are locked because they're afraid of the religious leaders. But together, except Thomas. Where's Thomas? Thomas isn't there. It's not with the group. He hasn't gathered with the other followers. It kind of seems like he's thrown in the towel. Like, well, Jesus is dead. The tomb is, somebody stole the body. I'm I'm done. This whole thing is pointless. I'm going to go back to what I was doing. Now, Thomas wasn't always doubting Thomas. Thomas was sold out for Jesus. Thomas, like all the other disciples, left everything for Jesus. He turned from the world for Jesus. He gave his life to following Jesus. In John chapter 11, we read the story of of the death of Jesus' friend, Lazarus. And, And Jesus is talking to the disciples about the death of Lazarus. And he alludes to his own death. He alludes to his own death. And the disciples are just not tracking. They have, they don't, they're just not there. But Thomas, he's getting a little bit, just a little bit. And he makes this incredible claim. He says this, let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas is willing to be martyred for Jesus. He is all in. So don't get this in your head that he's always the skeptic kind of guy. He's sold out. He's not a flaky disciple. But here, all of the disciples are together. The tomb is empty. Something is happening. Jesus appeared to Mary. She's had this encounter. Like she's, like, she's like high as a kite right now. Everyone else is fearful. Let's lock the door. She's like, I don't need to be fearful. Unlock the door. I've seen him. But Thomas isn't there. Thomas isn't there. I think he's disillusioned. This wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Like many of us, he left the world because it was empty for faith in Jesus. He followed Christ, but now Jesus, in his mind, is dead. Still dead. Yeah, yeah, the body, somebody stole the body, guys, come on. Faith wasn't all that it's cracked up to be. I wonder who here, maybe even online, who's there right now? Who's in that middle space of the world was not and the church was not? (laughs) I just don't know what to do. You're like Thomas. You're experiencing a Thomas dilemma. So you're not even showing up anymore. 
You're not even going to go to church. It's not going to go. You're not going to show up to read the Bible. Not even know it means collecting dust. Maybe you don't even know where it is. The app on your phone, you know how some apps can like semi-delete themselves from the phone just to save space? It's done that. Prayer, you don't even think about prayer anymore. You're not even talking to him. You're not even sharing Jesus with your kids anymore. You're like Thomas. You're disillusioned. And that's why I think Thomas isn't there with them. And if that's you, you need a kickstart in your faith. You need an encounter with Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, you hear my heart right now. I'm praying somebody this morning would have an encounter with Jesus. Somebody listening online would have an encounter with Jesus. Podcasts, radio, that you would have an encounter with Jesus. I need you to know, person, that Jesus sees you where you're at right now. He sees you. Open your heart up to him. So while the disciples are together, minus Thomas, Jesus appears to them. It says, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. They questioned the empty tomb. They didn't believe Mary, but now they met Jesus. They saw his hands and his side, and they're overjoyed. They had an encounter. And what is the first thing that John, in the book of John here, tells us the disciples did after they had this encounter with Jesus? You want to know the first thing they did? They went and found Thomas. Let's go find Thomas. Thomas isn't here. Let's go tell Thomas. We've seen Jesus. Mary was right. Believe it or not, the woman was right. Mary was right. We, saw, we touched his side. We, we saw the scars. Thomas, it's real. I'm not joking. I saw it. He saw it. Yeah, I saw it too. I touched him. I hugged him. I felt him. I smelled him. It smelled good. Not stinky. I was there. I was there too, Thomas. You got to believe, man. All of us. Everyone's like, Thomas, come on. You got you to believe. More eyewitness accounts. More testimonies. Now, should that be enough? Not for Thomas. Because he's disillusioned. He's disillusioned. He says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Stubborn skepticism. Maybe you had an encounter, but I didn't. I'll believe it when I see it. Why not believe your friends? Why not trust their experience? You guys have been through a lot together. You witnessed a lot together. You saw miracles. You literally saw Jesus raise someone from the dead. You saw Jesus. Thomas, you were the guy when that happened who said, let's all go and die together. Like, like you were there. You know it's possible. Why not believe your friends? What happened? And that's the thing with, with being in that middle spot where as you pursued religion and found it to be wanting has left you disillusioned in your, in your, in your heart, in your mind, in your faith because disillusionment is like poison. It's like poison to the person. It will blind you to truth. 
It will blind you to reality. He's unwilling to accept evidence, and he set the bar so high that it seems like it's not going to happen. No amount of convincing on the disciples' part is going to change his mind. The only thing that will change his mind is an encounter with Jesus. Have you ever had a conversation with someone who's been like that? No amount of, of, of showing evidence or logic or reasoning. I remember I heard a pastor who was an apologist who would literally go around the world and defend the faith. And he'd debunk every, every like, you know, argument against Christianity, every argument against faith. He quite literally shares the story of, I think it was McDonald's. He's in a fast food restaurant, has a, a chance meeting with someone. They start this conversation and he debunks all their arguments. And the guy quite literally says, I see, I'm wrong. And the pastor says, I remember the story. It just struck me because it's so true. The pastor says, as he's sharing the story, he says, do you think that in that moment, he said, I see what you're saying. The evidence points to it. Let's have a moment of prayer and I'll receive Jesus. He says, no. He says, in fact, every time I've pointed someone to the evidence, it's never led to a moment of prayer. It's never led to conversion. Because evidence is great for making someone humble, but people need a genuine encounter with Jesus. People need Jesus to unlock their heart, to open up their eyes, you can show the truth, but until they meet the truth, they will not believe. And this is Thomas. No amount of convincing is going to convince him. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I touch them for myself, I will not believe. He's made the statement. He's put the stake in the ground. And it's right there in the middle of his doubt and his faith where it seems as though he's as far away from God as he could get, that Jesus is closer to him than he thinks. See, Thomas doesn't need to be convinced of who Jesus is. He doesn't need to see his sinful ways. He doesn't need to understand his need for salvation. He doesn't need to wrestle through the cost of following Jesus. That's all there. He gets it. Have you ever had a conversation with someone? They're like, I get it. I get the sin. I get the need. I see. I know. You know. Maybe you have family members like, I believe in Jesus. I'm having conversations with my kids about this. They're like, yeah, we have friends that say they believe in Jesus. But there's a difference there. They need an encounter with Jesus. They need a, they need a friendship with Jesus. There's so many of you that are here. You're, you're sitting here, you're listening, you're online because you're there. You don't need convincing of the stuff. You get the stuff, but you need a meeting. You need a meeting with Jesus, a fresh experience in his presence. And this is why our vision here at Parkway Church is for people to have a life-changing experience with Jesus. And please, please, church, do not believe that if we do this program or have this discipleship opportunity or introduce this book or have that event, that people will be saved. And believe me, I love all that stuff. They're tools. They are tools. But no amount of programs is going to change someone's life. Jesus is the only person that could change someone's life. If it was a program, I'd have a thousand programs. And I wish I could just flick a switch and push a button and wait. I tell this to my kids all the time. Want me to pull up my magical wand and just wave it? 
and go, poof, Jesus, poof, Jesus, poof. I wish I could do that, but I can't because I'm not God, and I don't know everyone's journey, and I can't change a heart. But I can pray, and I can point you to the evidence, but I can pray that you would have an encounter. See, a lot of us are like the disciples who have an encounter with Jesus. We go find our Thomas. We're like, Thomas, man, you got to believe. I believe. And, and maybe Thomas even sees all the change, right? They're no longer fearful. They're not locking the door anymore. I see something. Yeah, I see something, you guys, but unless I have an encounter. Unless I have an encounter. So we need to pray, church. We need to be praying that people would encounter Jesus. And I hope that it gets through to you that when I say that, that we as a church want to meet the presence of God, that that you get what I'm, what I'm saying by that. I'm not into singing empty songs just for song's sake. I'm not, I don't do that. I don't sing in the shower. I don't sing in the car. Do you know what I do when I get in the car? I turn off the radio. I'm not one of those dudes. I'm not, I, I, yes, I can play guitar, but I don't bust out my guitar at home and say, let's, let's have a, because I just feel like singing. Singing's nice. I, it is nice. It's great but I don't just want to do that. I don't want to just come up here and, and do this. Do you, you know how much work goes into preparing a message? Jody says to me the other day, I can't believe, like, I don't know how much, like, you got to do that every week. It's exhausting. I don't do this because it tickles my funny bones, and I'm like, yeah, woo! I don't. That's why I get, like, super passionate, and, and, and I feel like you guys are looking at me, and I'm angry. I'm not angry at you. I'm just passionate. <laughs> because I hope this gets through. I do this, it gets through. So hopefully the, the Spirit can use this and, and convict someone and, and open up their eyes because that's the only thing that will change. Some of you know that because you've had that. Many of you have had that encounter with Christ and you're here today and you're part of Parkway because of that. You've had an encounter with Jesus and it's changed you and you're, you're tracking with me. You're like, yes, I get that. Like, this is why, church, we need to be people of prayer. Because God has set aside in his sovereignty prayer as a mode by which he performs his will. And so, yes, he desires, the scriptures say, for all to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But he has set in his sovereignty the church as his hands and feet to be people who pray and allow his will to be accomplished. So we need to be praying individually and corporately, apart and together, that people would meet Jesus. Because guess what? The next big Easter event ain't going to change. Yeah, we had hundreds of people. Fantastic. How many of them met Jesus? Hopefully they encountered you and you were friendly and you were nice and they have a good reputation with the church. We want that. Because you never know. A chance encounter with someone. I know some of you are here today because of an outdoor service. You drove by and you saw it. Like th th those are all, how can we do these things that set up maybe a chance encounter with someone that God could use in that person's path to meet Christ? If, if those things save people, I'd do them every Sunday. But it's, it's, it's meeting Christ. It's meeting Jesus. And have him say, I see you, and now see me. So Thomas is skeptical. 
A week goes by, probably the longest week. Everyone's high on Jesus except for Thomas. They're getting fired up. He's not having any of it. This time, the disciples, they're together in the house, and Thomas is with them. And although the doors are locked still, Jesus came and stood among them. He says, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, shows up, and he looks at Thomas. He says, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. That's an imperative from Jesus. It's a command-like, stop doubting and believe. Listen, right now, I believe that God is telling somebody, stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. Get off the skepticism train and get on the faith train. Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe, he says. Thomas, my Lord, my God. You know the crazy thing about that? Jesus shows up, doesn't sit down for a meal. He, peace be with you. Hi, guys. Thomas. Because Thomas, a week ago, said to the evidence, unless I see the nail marks, unless I touch his side. So who heard that? The Lord heard that. The Lord heard his cry for an encounter. And so when Jesus appears, he goes, hey, you, you're right there. Give it a good touchy. See it? Come here. Because he knows where you're at. He knows what you need. He knows you're ready. Stop doubting and believe. I invite the worship team to come. I was listening to a podcast this week of, week of, a, of a story of Nabil Qureshi and his conversion. Nabil was a Muslim who converted to Christianity. He became an apologist. He defended Christian faith. He wrote books. He traveled the world, and he spent the rest of his short life sharing the gospel and trying to convince people of the evidence. In the podcast, it was his college friend sharing the story. His college friend was also a Christian and an apologist, and he was the catalyst that helped start Nabil to question Islam. And through their journey together, as they would spend hours talking about Islam and Christianity and faith and God and Allah, Nabil came to the place where he began to see that there was at least reason and logic why Christians believed what they believed. He began to see, okay, I understand you actually have evidence for why you believe what you believe, but it was not quite enough for conversion. Now, if you don't know anything about the Muslim faith, conversion is a pretty big deal. It's not just a, oh, I'll say a prayer and then I'll go and have a barbecue in my backyard and go on with my life and go to work the next day. Conversion was literally life change for, for, for a Muslim. Uh, Muhammad in his writings actually shares that if someone leaves the Islamic religion, he's to be killed. Most Muslims, when they convert to Christianity, they're denounced by their family. Their family disowns them. And they, in the Islam faith, it's also believed that if you, live, if you leave Islam, that you'll go to hell. And so for Nabil, here he has this theology he's followed all his life. 
that if he's wrong on this, I'm going to lose, I could die. I'm going to lose my family and I'm quite literally my burn in hell. If I make this decision and I'm wrong, these is, this is what's going on for me. It's not what it's like in the West where it's like, if you have Jesus, you'll feel great. That's sometimes the message of preachers. And so we're like, I want to feel great. Yeah, I choose Jesus. And it's squeaky clean. For him, it was like, it was, it was traumatizing. But he began to see the evidence. And so he actually goes and he prays. He says, I got these questions, God, and I need real answers. So if this is true, I need a vision, I need a dream, I need something. And he tells a story of him being in a hotel room and everything goes dark and all he can see is crosses everywhere. Crosses, he has this vision, pitch black, can't see anything but crosses. Comes out of that vision, he says, God, that is not enough. What if that is just my subconscious? I've prayed a prayer and now I'm subconsciously just envisioning what maybe my subconscious wants to see. This is not enough. I need, I need a dream. Give me a dream to corroborate what I've seen. And so he has a dream and it's full of all these symbols. And he actually had a book. His friend's describing this in the podcast. He actually had a book that had all of uh, symbols that you would see in dreams and what they meant in the Islamic faith. I didn't even know that was a thing. And so he has this dream and he opens up this Islamic book and he starts to look at all the symbols and finds out what it means. And, and this is what the dream meant. Islam is attacking you to kill you. But your friend came and squashed it and then it turned to attack him. But Jesus came and cut off Islam's head. That's, that's what the symbolism meant in his dream. God was using where he was at with what he believed, the own religious books to reach him. Still wasn't enough. He says, God, I need a dream. If this is real, I need, I need a dream that doesn't need translating. I need a dream that doesn't need translating. So he has another dream. This time there's a narrow door. And in the narrow door, it's a very narrow door. In the narrow door is his friend and a bunch of others feasting, but he can't get through. So he wakes up from his dream, he finds his friend. And he says, can you translate this for me? He wanted a dream he couldn't translate. He got a dream he needed to translate. He said to his friend, can you translate this for me? And his friend says, I don't need to translate that. That's right in the Bible. Luke chapter 13, I think it is. That's right in the Bible. It's right there. Narrow doorway. Narrow is the road that leads to life. And in that door, there's a big feast. It was some time later through those encounters he became a follower of Christ he weighed the cost but it wasn't because of the evidence the evidence was enough for him to be open to it but it was an encounter with God now this is not formula <laughs> this is not a formula that says if you pray God will give you a vision and a dream and another dream and this is how it will happen this is just God reaching him where he's at. For Thomas, it meant touch my side. For Nabil, it meant here's the dream. For you, I don't know what that looks like, but let me tell you a few things. When you truly ask the Lord for an encounter, Lord, if you're really real, reveal yourself. I'm in this spot and everything the world has given me is not enough and everything the church has said is just not there. I need something. 
If you have a genuinely real encounter, here's some of the things that will happen. Your eyes will begin to open to faith. You'll begin, you'll begin to see. It's like something spiritual was removed and you can begin to understand the things that the preacher says on a Sunday morning and your friends talk about. All of a sudden, it starts to click where it didn't click before. You'll begin to comprehend the things of God and the lessons of Scripture. You'll begin to hear and sense and feel the voice of God in you. A little bit clearer, distinguishable from your own like something pierces you, you'll feel conviction for sin and a desire to repent. You'll believe even when you don't know it all. And you'll see, even though you didn't physically see Jesus. And the amazing thing about that, when you have that kind of encounter with Jesus through the Holy Spirit, it's a work of the Holy Spirit, is that is a promise that Jesus actually made to Thomas. He said, blessed, you believe, you believe because you have seen, but blessed are those who have believed and have not seen. And church today, you, me, many of us are, the, are living in that promise that we have had an encounter with Jesus, not like Thomas did. We will not meet the physical Jesus until he returns, but we have encounters with God through the Holy Spirit in a way that opens our eyes and enlightens us to faith. And no amount, I try, to, I try to talk to my kids about this. Like I try to talk about what it's like to, to really know Jesus and, and talk to him, to hear, hear him. And they're trying to logically put it together, right? Like they're, oh, they need an encounter. They need, they need an encounter with Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you need an encounter with Jesus. Maybe, maybe you are here and you've chased after the things of the world and it just has not satisfied you. You've tried the, the success thing and that hasn't worked. You've tried the accomplishment thing. You've tried the toy thing. You've tried the substances. You've done all that. You've done some shopping. Maybe it lasts for a period, but it's, it's not long enough. It's not enough. Can you pray for an encounter with Jesus today? Maybe you're here today and you've, you've done the, the, the church. You're like, you're like Thomas and, and you've tried out following and you've, you've done the practices and, and you've done the Christian road. And somewhere along the way, you became disillusioned with it all. Maybe it was something that your parents taught you and so you kind of just went along with and now you're kind of at that questioning stage. Is this really real? Or is this just something I believed because something I was taught? Or maybe you've done it long enough and you've just been, you've been praying long enough for those, those big things and you're just not seeing the answers you hope for. So you're, you're disillusioned. And you're like, I don't know. Could you, could you pray today for like a fresh encounter? Because no amount of religion is going to make you feel whole. But Jesus... But Jesus, are you with me? Would you stand?
team is going to lead us. I've asked them to lead us again in a song. And this isn't just like the way we close a service. We sing a nice song. Here's what we need to do, church. We just need to set apart this time. And I'm going to name a couple different kinds of people. Those people that literally we've been talking about this whole time. If that's you, like let's just begin to pray that you, that you would encounter Christ. You know, open up your heart to him and your mind to him. Like right now, Lord, give me a moment. I want to, I want to see you. And if you're there, I want to, I want to respond to that. As we sing this, there's a line in this song, Holy Spirit, let us become more aware of your presence. It's what we're praying for. God, if you're really real, let me become more aware of you. Reveal yourself to me. And then if you're, if you're over here and you're like me and you're like, man, he's, he's revealed himself to me and I'm, I'm in it. Can we pray for, for, for another fresh encounter? Because life is hard and, and stuff happens and stress is there. It's like any relationship. You can't just, it can't just, pastor's always getting married soon. I'm going to use this as a great example. She can't ride her marriage off her wedding day. Her and Zach, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing. God bless them. That cannot be the fuel for the rest of their marriage. And for you today, who you know Christ and he has revealed himself to you, can you just pray for a fresh encounter? Lord, just touch my life again. Let us see your glory. You with me? Father, right now, we just ask as we commit some more time in your presence that you would reveal yourself to each and every single one. Lord, you know all of us here. You know our journey, you know our path. God, you know the one who is in the middle right now in that disillusionment spot. Lord, I pray you'd speak to them. Those words that you spoke to Thomas, stop doubting and believe. Believe today. Put your faith in me. Would you speak those words? Would you open eyes, reveal yourself in Jesus' name? Come on, church, just begin to press in as the team leads us in song. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.